0: I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast.
1: Industry-wide, if we look at it holistically, it's about mispriced and undervalued um, products that more traditional venture capital private equity firms still understand uh, that market opportunity like we do.
0: That's Bahia Yasmin Robinson, founder and CEO of VC Include and Include Ventures. Include works to accelerate investment into women, Black, Latinx, Indigenous, LGBTQ, and other underrepresented fund managers in order to drive economic growth through the power of diversity. I sat down with Bahia at the recent Include conference in Berkeley, and I got the chance to meet as well with several of the emerging managers in Include Venture's latest cohort. In coming weeks, we'll share some of those conversations. First, let's hear from Bahia. I'm here at Include with Bahia Yasmin Robinson, the founder and CEO. Hi, Bahia.
1: Hi. It's a
0: pleasure hey. to be with you.
1: Thanks for having me, David.
0: Um, what's your What are the highlights uh, uh, of today so far?
1: I think the highlights for me is one uh, how the corporates really came to both attend uh, Include Conference and to really learn both from, you know, about the new fellows. Uh, many of them have invested in cohort one. And if you recall, our first uh, fellowship. Um, That cohort in the last year has uh, raised $250 million and happy to report that some of of, of that capital was through corporate investment by Amazon and PayPal and others. And so uh, excited to see that, um, you know, that interest, that continued interest. I know there's a lot of um, questions around um, will corporates continue to kind of make good on their promises uh, to invest in underrepresented fund managers and, and founders and we are seeing that um, that these corporates are looking for uh, sustainable long-term solutions to their investment strategy post their initial marketing uh, announcement of investment.
0: Now, we've heard the statistics about uh, the, the small amounts of percentage of capital managed by managers of, of color, um, and it's always a tiny percentage, like 1.4%. Sure. Um, is that number... Uh, budging at all or are all the efforts of the last couple of years making a difference?
1: I think so. There's a couple of things to put into context and it's always interesting to see media cover some of this because venture, as you know, is a very long-term investment as much as it's an alpha generating investment in the alternative space. I tend not to think about movement in terms of 12, six or nine or 12 months. I look at it as a three to five year has the needle moved kind of in, you know, five years versus, you know, one to two. And so as much as the pandemic and George Floyd has really pushed the commitment amounts, the capital getting, going out the door, it's still not fully executed. It's still full, not fully, it's not fully deployed yet. So that's one thing to consider is that that amount seems like it's slowing because it's not fully deployed in many uh, commitments, but I do think that we have an opportunity to stay um, focused on stakeholder engagement and making sure that those commitments continue to, to, uh, to be deployed um, or that the full commitment continues to be deployed. So I think that's one thing. 1.4% 1. to move that needle takes a lot. And so I think we'll see, we'll be able to measure this in the next five, three to five years on if that needle really has moved from that 1.4%. I mean, our mandate and our vision is to move that needle 10x um, in the next 10 years. And so it's important for us to look particularly at the venture capital and private equity space and be very thoughtful about building the pipeline and building the market and also making sure that we're connecting the right LPs that have an interest in both mission uh, mission alignment as well as sustainably, sustainability, climate and environment into this next generation of managers. And I think if we do that right, that that, that number will move in the next you know, three to five years.
0: Now You've had, I think, uh, 12 uh, new fund managers in this year's cohort and about an equal number, I think, Mm -hmm. last year.
1: Yes, in the the fellowship, we had 10 that graduated in 2021 that generated that $250 million in AUM. And then this is uh, now 12 managers. The difference between the first cohort and this cohort is that all of the cohort of this year, 2022, have raised some capital. And so we thought it was important to find, because we had such a big number of applicants find managers that had raised some capital and had some skin in the game around that momentum to be able to close their funds in the next twelve months
0: but your vision as you said this morning was was hundreds or th- or thousands so yeah. how do, how do you go from dozens to, to to hundreds
1: so accretive right year on year so we had ten plus the twelve this year plus the ten climate funds that's thirty two
0: okay so
1: how do we get to ten by or excuse me by to hundred by twenty thirty? By being very intentional and making sure that our programs are graduating top-notch alpha generating um, the best of the best firms in the in the market and supporting them in all the ways we can in order to get over that line to provide the resources and non-financial support that managers need um, to make sure that they build resilient institutional grade asset management firms so that they're growing from a fun one to a fund two and a fund three. It's not just enough to raise your first fund. It has to be, you know, value creating, alpha generating, and you're you're supposed to be able to raise your second fund and your third, right? So there's a few things that are important in order to get to numbers of later stage venture capital funds run and led by women and people of color.
0: Um, there's a couple of threads I want to pick up, but you just mentioned alpha generating, and that's come up a lot. The thesis is that there is alpha to be had here. Just what are the elements that generate alpha out of, out of this thesis?
1: So the thesis around include is, you know, sustainability, investing in diverse women, diverse founders and diverse um, funds outperform the market just from a statistical, just from a data perspective. And we have lots of different, um, you know, financial service investment firms, et cetera, that have shared reports on women-led firms outperforming the market, diverse-led teams, outperforming the market. So we have that baseline data. I think what's important now is to build a resiliency around collecting data around impact metrics, around uh, climate decarbonization and other kind of real ESG metrics that we can track year on year. So that's one piece is the data piece to see where where certain industries are maybe generating more returns than
0: others. But the elements of that alpha are finding markets that are under tapped or talent that is underappreciated or, um, kind of a different lens, different lens on, on opportunities.
1: Absolutely. So it's a, so in terms of, I'd say the, uh, I'd say if there's three pillars or three buckets, one is diverse teams, right? Th- second is, um, investors that have a track record either as operators in a particular industry or as investment professionals that might not be spinning out with attribution from their old firms, but spinning out with an expertise in a particular in a particular investment th- thesis or strategy. So they're
0: considered first-time managers technically, but they have all kinds of other experience.
1: Absolutely. Right. And so we're de-risking by understanding their track record and history of investing. Or, and or building the type of firms that they want to invest in, right, Built successfully building and exiting out of the firms. And there's many examples of that, um, both in this cohort and the last cohort of um, folks that have done really well in their respective industries. And now they want to double down on that strategy to be uh, wealth generators and also value creators and alpha generators.
0: There's a little bit of an irony, and people have have educated me about it, that some of the alpha comes from the fact that these uh, managers and and these founders are undervalued and underappreciated, such that the valuations are are low, and and therefore the upside is higher.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's another distinct element, and it's about, I mean, we can talk about it, I talk about it as, you know, as uh, underpriced or mispriced, uh, you know, product. In the market, whether it's the company or whether it's uh, which is undervalued and uh, at a lower valuation, or what as an investor I call a discount, right? But I think industry wide, if we look at it holistically, it's about mispriced and undervalued um, products that more traditional venture capital, private equity firms don't understand uh, that market opportunity like we
0: do. Tell us just a little bit about how you came to this work and why and why you decided to start include.
1: Sure. So I've been an impact investor and a social entrepreneur before impact investing was a uh, a a good word. Um, and I realized as you know, someone that's been in this space, both on the trying to figure out how to do well and do good um, at scale, that impact investing was going to be institutionalized or continue to grow in the institutional space. And I made a bet. I made a bet on, I saw that, um, you know, both fund managers and founders were um, not being invested in, and that was a missed opportunity and a massive market opportunity. And I decided to build a platform before COVID and before people really caught on to this diverse emerging manager um, segment to build a platform to just focus on this niche of women-led diverse-led firms in the venture capital and private equity space to make sure that as we kind of continue to build our asset management firm, that we were able to de-risk a lot of our investments by, you know, supporting some of these managers, learning more about their journeys, seeing how they do in a fund one versus a fund two, fund three, and also being an amplifier across the market for these market opportunities, whether we invest them, invest in them through Include Ventures or not. And so thinking about being uh, a market maker and an influencer in the space that, Actually drives the impact, the climate justice, the things that we actually want to see in the space. So it was just an opportunity to be um, a leader in the space. You know, unbeknownst to me, that before the pandemic uh, presented this accelerant of all this work.
0: Now, in, in in addition to the accelerant, there's also the backlash, and 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 it's come on strong. Maybe it got stemmed a little bit by the election results um, in some way, maybe, but. Uh, in any event, the opponents of e s g are are on the march how How do you respond to them?
1: I ignore them <laughs> <laughs> i ignore them and the, and the reason why I do is again because you know i've been in this space for fifteen or so years and i'm a you
0: know i'm a
1: researcher i look at you know network effects i also look at insights and trends because I've been investing across Africa and you know europe as well as the u s um there's a Growing both need and mandate across really globally to solve some really large issues that have not been solved, and there's market-based uh, solutions that are technology-driven that I'm seeing right. And so, because I've been in the space for so long, I've seen some of the pretty unique opportunity sets that are uh, ripe for both disruption and also right to scale. And so, for me, you know, the folks that are crying about well, ESG is not a thing, is gonna see, uh, they're gonna see that that environmental and social governance is actually going to be embedded in investment decisions going forward. I think for several reasons. One, the next generation, uh, the millennials and below are not having are seeing that their world and their children and their grandchildren's world is gonna be much hotter and much different and much uh more and not as safe. As as it's been for previous generations, and they're and they're making other decisions and demanding for more impact investment solutions. Whether it's within you know wealth management firms, they come to us and ask us and tell us that their clients are demanding more and more, increasingly year on year, demanding demanding more climate focused um, investments and and also demanding more. Um, general impact and ESG opportunities. So they are actually a lot of the allocators and asset owners are coming to us saying, you're building this resilient platform. We need our wealth managers. We need the large financial institutions to be in this room with you to learn, you know, and and to beat all these managers because this is what we want to invest in going forward. So the market and the data and the kind of the breadcrumbs point to more integrated ESG.
0: You mentioned that you want to, firms to be able to go from the first fund to the second fund to the third fund. There's some data that shows that the better managers perform, the tougher it is for the, them to get allocations from the asset allocators. Um, the bias studies that uh, Lumen Capital and, and Sanford did a couple of years back sure. seem to show that the bias actually increased with success.
1: Sure. Well, that's why the mar- the platform play is so important, because we're not just educating and supporting managers. We're actually educating and supporting asset owners and asset allocators as well. And so this holistic um, platform and approach allows allocators to get comfortable with building long-term relationships and seeing how this is actually going to benefit their bottom line and actually increase the you know alpha created in their portfolio companies and therefore uh, won't be as resistant to investing in later stage um diverse led firms
0: and was the was the, the the takeaway from that study was that maybe the first fund i mean this this education i think is critical takeaway was that that first fund was sort of a could be a gesture of some sort but the second fund which presumably is larger then it becomes like a serious investment and they were less willing to do that is that what the what the what the lesson of that? I mean, it was a kind of a counterintuitive finding, as I as I remember.
1: Well, this is this this starts to you know press against the concept of implicit bias. You know, when you have a number of, you know, funds, the later stage funds, there's actually it's more competitive in the sense of there's less diverse funds and more non-diverse funds. And so if you already have a portfolio of fun threes or fun fours or even some fun twos, you actually have to um, think a lot about your portfolio construction. So if you're not, if you don't have high conviction for those managers themselves and that team, then it becomes less attractive to continue to invest in them. That's a general context. So where bias plays in is if you have a manager that you've known from B school that spent a bunch of time at Blackstone or BlackRock or one of the larger uh, investment management firms and you know maybe you know easily raise their first time fund and you're putting a little capital into you know a, a underrepresented manager but they do really well. Now now you've got your, you know, the person that you kind of known for a long time. And then this new manager, still new because it's a second time fund or even a third time fund. It's technically still emerging. Right. And they're up against these other more kind of institutional leaning managers that are tracking more to their peer group. And so then it becomes, do I invest in the peer group or do I invest in this and go out on like, quote, unquote, a limb and still invest in an emerging manager that might not be part of my peer group that I might not know quite as well? And so I think all of those things are part of that bias. Some of it is just, you know, racism It's see there's a white guy, it's a black guy, I'm going to choose the white guy. But I think because investment, uh, the asset management field is so relationship-based, it's usually based on relationships that they're choosing these managers.
0: And so you're saying that the education now is at the allocator level. Uh, I mean, at some level, if as if the, as the data comes in, as you say, they're breaching their fiduciary duty exactly. by not looking at this and oh, by right. not examining their own implicit bias.
1: Absolutely, and so they're losing out on alpha because of their implicit bias, and so that's where we're tra- trying to—I what I call it—change you know, hearts and minds around where the opportunity set is, and that everyone will benefit um, by investing in high-performing, outperforming diverse and women-led managers.
0: Easier to change hearts and minds when you can deliver Alpha.
1: Right.
0: Thank you, Bahia. It's a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about Bahia, Include, and Emerging Fund Managers at impactalpha.com. Big thanks to Bahia, to our producer Isaac Silk, and to the whole team at Impact Alpha Investment News for a Sustainable Edge. And to all of you Agents of Impact, thanks again for all that you do.